أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 15 of the A Lesson per Page Quran program We will be starting inshallah with page number 68 of the Holy Quran No matter how great the Prophet is we are Muslim because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Islam, um, as sh should be the case, um, there is no idolization of any particular individual. Yes, there will be uh, a respect, a special respect reserved for the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and uh, his holy Ahlul Bayt alayhim salam and, and the righteous of his um, companions and so on and so forth and all the believers really there is a special respect for everyone but idolization to the point where something revolves or the religion revolves around that person such that that person if they don't if they cease to exist the faith cease to, ceases to exist we don't have anything like that and this is something that the Muslims were put to the test in regards to in the battle of Uhud the battle of Uhud um, has a lot of lessons in it it's not just the lesson of, oh, if we don't listen to the Prophet that we're going to get in trouble, we will lose in battle, and so on. There were a lot of lessons, a lot of things that were unearthed and unveiled or disclosed after the Battle of Uhud. Certain things that people had in their hearts, um, certain hypocrites were uh, exposed as well, and so on and so forth. And we'll have some of these lessons as we go on um, in this page, inshallah or in these pages, uh, in the following pages of this uh, part of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Imran. So let's recite the verses, or the verse, and uh, and then get into some details. Verse number 144 of Surah Al-Imran reads, Muhammad is but an apostle. That's all he is. He's a messenger. Other apostles have passed before him. So he's not the first one to come and go. We have previous prophets who also came and went from this dunya. If he dies or is slain, will you turn back on your heels? So the word heels here is used because if you're walking in a certain direction, brothers and sisters, you want to turn around. The easiest way is to lift the front of your foot yeah, and, and just spin on your heel to the other side, to, to the other direction. So here it's saying, will you turn back on your heels? Go back from where you came from. Go back to square one, so to speak. Okay, anyone who turns back on his heels will not harm Allah in the least, and soon Allah will reward the grateful. Okay, so there is, as I said, there is a story behind this and a context in the Battle of Uhud. Uh, one of the reasons why um, the morale of the Muslims was destroyed in that battle is the fact that a rumor spread that the Holy Prophet has been killed in the battlefield. And so this really took a toll on the believers. And um, 
you can say one of the reasons why they kind of gave up and some of them started fleeing up the mountain or the, up the Mount of Uhud was because of the fact that they thought the Holy Prophet has actually been killed. While in reality this was nothing but a rumor and the one who had been killed was Mus'ab bin Umair, this wonderful Sahabi of the Holy Prophet who personally I take him as a hero for, uh, for myself. It's good to look into his story. These first Muslims, how much they went through uh, and how what sacrifices they made for Islam. And so for them to stay on the religion of Islam despite all the uh, problems that came their way as a result. But anyway, Mus'ab bin Umair, I think he was around 30 years old. He got killed in the Battle of Uhud. He was the flag bearer of the army of the Muslims, both in Badr and Uhud. They say he was the one who was carrying the flag of the Muslims. But anyway, someone eventually killed him and he said, I have killed Muhammad And that spread. And of course back then it wasn't like you had walkie-talkies or anything and you could you know, inform each other that this is just a rumor and it's Mus'ab that has been killed. This spread like wildfire amongst the two armies and uh, before you know it, the Muslims are giving up. That's not the only reason why they were defeated in the Battle of Uhud. The main reason we all know is because they left their posts, those 50, 60 archers, however many they were, uh, they left their posts when they weren't supposed to. Um, and that's why they were ambushed. The Muslims were ambushed from behind. But um, that's the main reason, they say. But these things also destroyed their morale even more. Now, of course, we all have heard that there were only a few companions who were actually fighting off the enemies of Islam and not allowing them to kill the Holy Prophet when the Muslims were fleeing. So this is what the this is what this verse is talking about. So the people think that the Prophet is dead, sallallahu alayhi wa has been killed. And so what what's their reaction now? <laughs> well the reaction should be nothing really, in the sense of they shouldn't be giving up. They should be continuing their path. What did they do though? They turned on their heels, it says. And so this verse is saying, well, wait a minute. There is no idolization of figures in Islam. Islam is great because of itself, because of Allah, not because of anyone else to the point where if that person doesn't exist anymore, that person dies or is slain, that you can just give up on the faith now. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> so those of you fleeing up the mountain, you got you to gotta come back, you know. Um, and so this uh, is proof, this is proof that this religion that the Holy Prophet was calling to, the Qur'an is calling to, this religion is for real. This idea of negating idolization of individuals is a very strong proof that this Prophet is truthful in his claim of prophethood and representing God, so to speak, on, on, on this earth and, and calling to God on this earth. Why? Because if he wasn't truthful in his claim, he wouldn't be after negating idolization of individuals, of himself. He would actually make sure to idolize himself. He would make sure to make it all about himself to the point that if I die, people, the faith is going to die with me, so you better do everything you can to take care of me. Of course, the Muslims, those loyal companions of his that were around him in Uhud, they did try their best to um, uh, protect the Holy Prophet especially 
Ali ibn Abi Talib We've all heard the stories. Um, one, one account says that he sustained 60 wounds as a result. Um, so this is proof. This itself is something to think about. Those Orientalists who might call out the Holy Prophet and say that he was after personal gain and interest, well, this is strong proof that that's not the case. The fact that the Qur'an is saying straight up, it's saying, look, if he dies, it don't matter. <laughs> Are you going to turn away from the faith now? That's not how it's supposed to work. This is dangerous for a faith, brothers and sisters, to idolize someone like this to the point that the faith will die with them? No. And so when that main figure of the faith actually leaves this world or is slain, it's going to take proper steadfastness for the adherents and followers of that faith to remain in that faith and not leave it just like that. Right? And this is where it is super important for us, even today, even today, to ask ourselves this question of, hey, why am I Muslim? Am I Muslim for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons? Me even being Muslim for the Prophet's sake isn't going to cut it. I have to be Muslim for the right reasons and that's Allah Himself. And so for that, I have to have you know, reached a con conviction and yaqeen regarding Allah answered some of the questions that I, have, that I have regarding religion and God, have to have found answers to those. To be able to stay steadfast, or else if I'm following the faith just because of this person or that person. Now it's understandable, as kids when we're growing up, we trust our parents. We know that our parents want the best for us. We know that our Sunday school teachers want the best for us. And so we will follow their guide and their lead, their guidance and their lead. Yeah, we'll take their lead. Um, or follow, excuse me, follow their lead because we trust them. But as we grow older, more doubts will come. That's fine. Doubt is a sacred thing. Ayatollah Jawadi Amuri, he says this. He says, doubt is a sacred thing. Why? Because it is the means by which you grow more. You find answers. So, but we have to, it takes work. It takes work. When I'm 10 years old, and I believe in something, it's going to be different than when I'm 20, 30, 40 years old. Yeah? So this is where you know, it becomes super important for us today, like in our times especially, with all of the challenges. First of all, we don't have access to the Holy Prophet <laughs> We don't have access to uh, our, our, our leaders, our, our Imams. We don't have that. All we have access to is the Qur'an and the Sunnah and Hadith corpus. So we need to, lots of times we're going to have to do some work and figure stuff out, go and ask. I don't think it's going to cut it that much anymore for us to think that, okay, you know what? This is how I was raised. This is how my parents raised me. I'm good. I'm set. Even if you're set, what about your kids? What, if, what about when they come and ask you questions? So in our times today, it seems like we're going to have to like think a little bit outside the box. Personally, I, that's what I'm all about. I try my best. Um, even if it is going to you know, require me to make certain sacrifices, I really believe in, uh, in, in, in doing things a little differently, being a little more educational, and, and addressing issues that we know either have come up in communities and amongst our brothers and sisters, or will come up. Now it is kind of sad, I will vent here, not vent for the sake of venting, but vent for the sake of informing the brothers and sisters out there that this is an issue that we as sometimes scholars have to deal with. The fact that communities sometimes aren't even open to the idea, aren't even uh, welcoming of the fact that 
you might want to rock the boat a little bit, play devil's advocate a little bit, so that we can strengthen our backbone. And inshallah, this is what um, we try to do in uh, Mizan Institute as well, is try to, you know, go a little deeper inshallah. And I know that there are other scholars out there who are also looking at this idea of, you know, educating the masses more and more. Um, we, we have to have our programs, of course, there's no doubt about that. There's a lot of benefit in the normal, conventional programs that we have as well. But we need an educational aspect that will touch on deeper aspects of the religion as well, it seems. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Alright, so let's move on to page number 69. It starts with listening to the wrong people and ends with what? Losing everything. Okay. Oh, it's a little scary. Um, once again, there is a context here regarding um, Uhud, the Battle of Uhud again. But the lesson in it, I feel, can be used in a general way to apply to us even today. It starts with listening to the wrong people, ends with losing everything. And this is verse number 149 of Surah Al-Imran. O you who have faith, if you obey the faithless, you listen to the faithless, they will turn you back on your heels and you will end up being losers. So being a loser means a person who's at loss. They, they're empty-handed. They don't have anything that they might need to benefit them. Okay, so once again, as I said, this is, uh, it has to do with the Battle of Uhud again. I said that the Battle of Uhud has a lot of lessons to, that we can learn from. And this uh, part of Surah Al-Imran is, is where lots of these lessons are mentioned, right? So this is another one. After the Battle of Uhud, the hypocrites, the munafiqeen, they got to work. Oh, they got to work. And they made the most of this opportunity. Why? Because look, you all were victorious in the Battle of Badr, oh Muslims, right? You're victorious there. And so this was a sign that God is on your side, right? But then the problem is when you lose in the Battle of Uhud, and you, and you lose people like Mus'ab bin Umair, like Hamza, Sayyidu shuhada uncle of the Holy Prophet one of the greatest supporters of the Prophet in that time. What happens is people, people are ready now, people are vulnerable. And so you can start injecting doubt into the people. Like, hey, wait a minute, if God is on your side, then you know, what happened? And so on. Well, verses will make it clear um, from what I remember, let me check here real quick. <clears throat> I don't know where it was, but from what I remember, the verses make it clear that, look, it's because of your own mistakes that you lost this battle of Uhud. We have to remember, at the end of the day, this world that we're in is a world in which we are supposed to try our best to do things the right way. If we don't do them the right way, it's not like God is going to swoop in and save the day all the time. We have to understand that. So you were defeated because of your own mistakes. But let's get that straight first. Number one. Number two, once we've, we've got that out of the way, Allah is your mawla. 
Allah is your the one who loves you the most. He's your caretaker. He's your guardian. The next verse says this: nasirin. So that's the one you're supposed to be after. Don't let uh, the fact that uh, you lost this battle now allow you to lose your focus. And now you're thinking that, okay, Allah is not your mawla anymore. No, don't worry, Allah is still your mawla, but God's not going to do everything for you. That's what this dunya is for. Or else if uh, the Muslims were always winning their battles, right, and uh, they, were all, they, they had nothing to worry about, and it was all good. Of course, everyone will be Muslim. <laughs> That's, that defeats the purpose. There's no test there. The test is that God isn't going to use His superpower all the time to make you successful over everyone else, right? And then you, you expect this to still be a test for people. Everyone's going to be Muslim then. That's not a problem. No. The, 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 uh, the test is in everything going by the normal cause and effect, system of cause and effect, and the laws of that that are governing this world that we're in. Very simple. And so this is the important part. If you want to see who the loser is, it's not the one who lost in the battle of Uhud. This verse is saying, You will end up being losers. Why? Not because you lost the battle of Uhud. Because you start listening to the disbelievers and the hypocrites. Listening to them and as a result, turning on your heels and turning away from the faith. That equals being a loser. That equals loss and defeat. Not losing the battle of Uhud. Battle of Uhud, you lost it. All right, we'll bounce back. We'll learn from our mistakes. We'll know better next time. Okay. So what's happening is these people are talking in Medina, causing doubt to come into people's minds. The Quran says, don't listen to them. You know why you're Muslim. Don't turn on your heels because if you do and you turn away from the faith as a result of listening to them, letting them get to you, then you're going to be the real losers. So right now in Allah's eyes it seems you can say that they're not losers because they lost the battle of Uhud. But there's a general rule here that we derive, brothers and sisters, which is super important, that we can apply to ourselves today, you know, in this day and age as well. Look, at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, okay, we are living in secular lands and secular times. Why do I say times? Because you might even be living in a Muslim um, country, you know. I hear this from people all the time. They tell me about, you know, different countries that they're in, you know. Uh, I have discussions with some people about, uh, I don't want to mention names of countries, you know. Uh, but not more than one, more than one come to mind that where, okay, these are Muslim lands, right? But the times we're in are just secular times. And so you'll be in a certain country, for example, but then you'll find that some of the people there are thinking very secularly. So even living in Muslim lands isn't going to necessarily mean that there's no test for you anymore. So I say we, as Muslims living in the West maybe, might be in secular lands, but all in all, all, in all we're living in secular times, okay? which, is, which, is, uh, which is greater than just being in secular lands and more uh, sensitive uh, of, of a situation to be in. Alright, so this verse is giving us a rule. If you follow those who are disbelievers at the end of the day, you listen to them, it'll probably end up in you turning away from the faith and as a result being a loser. 
for us today, what we have to be careful about is, are we going to take everything that the secular world is dictating to us today? Are we going to take it and just listen and abide by it? Just because I live in such, such and such country, it's in these secular lands, does that mean that I'm going to take everything they tell me now? Whatever the, the, the messaging and the subliminal messaging and subconsciously I'm taking in, and even directly they're feeding me of values that the secular world has. These secular values, am I going to take them in and listen and just heed to whatever they say? Is that is that how it's supposed to be? Well, the problem with that is that this verse seems to apply. If you're going to follow the disbelievers in everything they tell you, they might not even have the worst intentions sometimes. I'm not saying that this is always the case, but sometimes they might not even have a bad intention. But it, these are values that will go against Islamic values at the end of the day. Lots of times there are malicious uh, intentions involved. I'm not you know, uh, dismissing that at all. What I'm saying is, we shouldn't think that um, this revolves around necessarily around uh, malicious intentions. No, no, sometimes there might not even be malicious intentions, but at the end of the day, this might go against Islamic values. If I am listening to the disbelievers in everything that they want me to take as values, I will slowly form and develop an identity based on those values for myself. That'll be my identity. The problem here is that once Islamic teachings go against those things that I have now adopted as my values, as the way I want to look at things. And trust me, this happens a lot. I've seen it. Once Islamic teachings are at odds with not secular teachings anymore, but my identity, what I believe in, then what am I going to do? Of course, what I've adopted as me, as what I am all about now, of course, I'm going to dismiss those Islamic teachings. Which means what? Which means kind of me turning on my heels and not believing in the faith the way I'm supposed to anymore. Which means what? Which means I'm a loser now. If I'm not able to reconcile, I've had youth come up to me, ask me certain questions that regarding the faith and certain teachings of the faith that don't, <clears throat> don't, don't add up with certain secular values that they've adopted. To the point they've adopted it to the point that they think that that's Islam actually, right? If you remember, I think this was page three of the Quran. We had a lesson there that sometimes we think that we are reformists, we are bringing about good change for the faith and for the believers, while what we are agents of corruption. We don't even know it, and to get in the way of that, we have to educate ourselves properly and not get the, let emotions get the best of us. And also, according to this page now, sixty-nine, <coughs> be careful that we don't listen and follow the secular world, and everything that it gives us as values. No, first we learn our faith properly, bounce these things off of our values, and then okay, we'll adopt the ones that are not at odds with Islam. So this, I, I feel that this is a very, very important thing to keep in mind, especially for us and our kids even. Alright, <clears throat> now uh, with our kids, <coughs> excuse me, it might apply to their friends as well, their non-Muslim friends sometimes. You want me to go a step further? <clears throat> we might even have to apply this to the, the Muslim friends of our kids sometimes. Why? Because once again, 
It's not about being Muslim or non-Muslim. It's about who has adopted which values. If a Muslim even is, is listening so much to and obeying and taking in and adopting as many of the secular values that are out there, then that might be a problem for my kids too. And if my kids listen to that person, it might affect them to the point where when it'll reach a point where, God forbid, they might start questioning things. Yeah. Of course, this doesn't mean that we have to quarantine ourselves and cut ourselves off from the world either. No, we have to be armed and ready as well. Um, but we have to understand that sometimes we don't follow people because of logic and rationale. We follow them because of our love of them, because of our emotions and so on. Especially when we're younger, we listen to our friends just because they're our friends. And so this doesn't mean, I, I, don't want to take this to, I don't want anyone to take this to mean that we shouldn't have non-Muslim friends. No, I'm not saying that either. Okay, and sometimes I've, I've heard stories from different people. They've told me that uh, sometimes their non-Muslim friends encourage them more in practicing their faith versus maybe sometimes even Muslim friends. Yeah, This is not very recurring and widespread, inshallah, but there are cases like that. What I'm trying to say is that you can't paint everything with one brush here. There is no general rule here. We have to be careful about one thing, that we are not going to just blindly take in anything the disbelieving secular world gives us, okay? And this does not mean that we can't have non-Muslim friends necessarily. No, it just means if you are going to have non-Muslim friends or Muslim friends who aren't very practicing, whatever, I will make it clear to them that I'm not going to follow them in everything they do. And they know that and they respect that about me. They know that I am very serious about, you know, this aspect, my prayer, my fasting, my, let's say, hijab, whatever it is. And they respect that about me. Okay, we're, we're cool. We're, we'll still be friends and no problem, inshallah. Page number 70. <clears throat> it's always easy to talk after everything is over and spread negativity. It's always easy to do that. All right? <laughs> there are some people, that's all they can do. They're not good enough to be able to be leaders, be pioneers, be the ones who try their best to make certain decisions. All they can do is wait for others to make decisions and if those decisions turn out to be the wrong ones, they are the first ones to come and say, see, look at this guy, they were wrong, look at it, and they spread negativity. Yeah, It's easy to do that. Anyone can do that. All you need to do is wait and see what happens. But uh, no, there's, there's something better than this and more important than this. And sometimes there's no choice but to make decisions, although the, the decisions might turn out to be wrong later. Verse number, or verses number 156 to 157 of Surah Al-Imran. O oh, you who have faith, do not be like the faithless 
who say of their brethren, when they travel in the land or go into battle, had they stayed with us, they would not have died or been killed. So that Allah may make it a regret in their hearts. But Allah gives life and brings death and Allah sees best what you do. If you are slain in the way of Allah or die, surely forgiveness and mercy from Allah are better than what they amass. Let me explain the translation before I get into some of the points and lessons we can take from this. Okay? Because uh, I, I get the feeling that the translation is a little hard to understand because of some of the pronouns. It says, look, look at all you who have faith. So the verse is talking to the believers. Oh believers, look, don't be like the disbelievers who, this is what they say about their brothers who have faith. It's interesting how the Qur'an is, is referring to the ones that the disbelievers talk to or the ones who the disbelievers talk about. The Qur'an refers to them as the brothers of the disbelievers. Like in other words, these disbelievers are supposed to treat them like brothers and not speak behind their backs and want the best for them, but that's not what they do. And then they, you're, you've grown up in the same city of Medina, for example, right? And uh, you've known each other for the longest time. You're like brothers at the end of the day. Okay, so some of them have belief now and have faith in the Prophet They're still like your brothers. You should want the best for them, but you're speaking behind their backs. And of course, uh, this is also from my understanding is also speaking about uh, the Battle of Uhud still and some of the things that happened after the Battle of Uhud. So anyway, it's a, it says, look, don't be like the disbelievers who, what do they do? After it's all over and the believers have either traveled and then died in travel in their journey or have fought on the battlefield and have lost their life in the battlefield, don't be like the disbelievers who talk about the believers who lost their lives and they say, this is what the disbelievers say, had they stayed with us and not gone on this journey or not had gone to the battlefield, they would not have died or been killed. So Allah, Allah in the Qur'an is saying, don't be like these people after it's all over to come and spread negativity and say things. No, 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 no. Don't be like that. Right? Allah is the one who gives life. Allah is who brings, the, who brings death to people and so on and so forth. Okay, I think the rest is clear. So let's talk about this a little bit because this kind of uh, applies to us today as well. I'll get to that though. Not yet. Brothers and sisters, we don't have divine knowledge. Okay, we don't have divine knowledge. If we did, then things would be different. So I'll give you an example: moon sighting. All right, every Ramadan, almost every Ramadan that comes, we we there might be an issue of moon sighting, and everyone's frustrated. Oh, just tell us which day is the first, Habibi. If we knew what the first day was, we wouldn't have this problem. If we had divine knowledge, Allah has said, "Try your best." Go out there and try your best. Of course, there are different fatwas in regards to how you can see the moon, optical aid versus naked eye, all these things. That's true. That's a different story itself. I don't want to get into that. But I'm just giving you an example here. Yeah, if we if we had, as Muslims, we had divine knowledge of what when the first day is, then we wouldn't have all these issues. But how is Allah going to test us then? If we know exactly what we're supposed to do in every given scenario, then there goes half the test right there. No, we don't have divine knowledge. What we have to do is try our best to gain knowledge of the rulings and rules of God and what He expects of us in different scenarios, number one. And then number two, use our discretion, our fallible 
not infallible, fallible discretion to identify what, what our duty is in a certain given scenario and then make an honest effort to you know, carry out what we need to do. That's what we're supposed to do. So this idea of getting frustrated that we can't figure out what we're supposed to do and all of that, that, that goes out the window. That's actually, once again, as I've said before, if you remember many sessions ago, I brought this point up that in Islam, it seems safe to say that the means are the ends. The goal in everything is for Allah to see how we are going to deal with different things, how we're going to figure things out, how we're going to live up to our duty. Are we going to try to learn and educate ourselves to know what God wants of us so that we can identify different scenarios to the best of our knowledge? So the ends are the means. But we focus too much on the ends. We're like, no, well, is it, is it, is it this or is it that? Which one is it? We, I need to figure out. Well, I'll try my best, but that's about it. And then I'll act upon my discretion. Yeah, so sometimes when we do this, in retrospect, we look back, we're like, oh, I think it was a mistake. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done it like this. Maybe I should have done it like that. In the Battle of Uhud, same thing. People are now looking back. They're like, oh, look, they went and they died. This is what the disbelievers are doing, right? They're looking and they're like, oh, look, this guy went, he died. <clears throat> he got killed. Well, first of all, getting slain in the, in the battlefield next to the Holy Prophet I don't know, I can't think of, an high, of a higher honor than that. Okay, So that just shows that first of all you got problems in your world view my friend. Right? That's why the verse says, end of verse 157 is saying, surely forgiveness and mercy from Allah are better than what they amass, what they're collecting of all the dunya that they can bring together. Look, and then you're going to leave this dunya, you're going to leave all this behind. So first of all, you're off when it comes to saying, oh, in retrospect, it might have been better if they didn't go because they got killed. Bro, you got, you got a problem in your worldview. So that's, that's one thing. But let's just say, let's just say it wasn't the best thing for someone to get killed on the battlefield next to the Holy Prophet in the Battle of Uhud, which is totally off, by the way. Like That's just wrong. But let's just assume. Let's just assume. Do we have infallible divine knowledge? of things? No, we don't. We have ourselves a scenario and I have to figure out what the best thing I'm, I can do in this scenario is. The battle of Uhud wants to take place. The Prophet needs help. I believe in the Prophet I believe that it is wajib on me to fight alongside him in the battle of Uhud. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. This is what I need to do now. I try my best, figure out what I need to do, and I do it. Yes? And so Allah will reward me greatly if I survive, will reward me greatly if I die. In both cases, inshallah. So this idea of, and that this is where some people, they mess up now. What do they do? Instead of doing their, their due diligence and their homework in figuring out what the different rules and commands and expectations of God are, number one. Number two, applying those to each scenario that comes up. Instead of doing all that, they just sit back and wait for others to do that. And they're just followers. And, and when things go wrong, if they do, what do they do? They will just call out those who are their leaders, those who are making the decisions. Right? That's not how it works, brothers and sisters. 
I want to give an example now for those of you who are maybe a little younger uh, regarding our elders. Okay. Now you see how we're using the Battle of Uhud, getting lessons for us today, right? Brothers and sisters, younger people, sometimes, you know, we will read a little bit more into our faith and our religion and we'll find certain things that we were taught that might go against what our elders taught us. Their knowledge of things sometimes might have not been based on the books, might have been based on hearsay, might have been based on what they had learned from their forefathers and so on. But now I see something in a book, that is the book of my marja' taqlid for example, and I know for a fact okay, that, that they taught me wrong. This doesn't mean that I'm going to have to call them out now. This is not right. For us to call out our previous, our predecessors who taught us and tried their best. Look, they tried their best. They went, they learned the religion as much as they could. They tried to transfer and transmit that to us to the best of their ability. They made sacrifices along the way. And, that, and, 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 and so now here I am and I'm looking in retrospect, I'm like, oh, they were wrong here, they were wrong there. Yeah, they were wrong, maybe, sometimes. I'm not saying this all the time, by the way. Sometimes they might be wrong. They're not infallible. No one's infallible. Does this mean that I call them out now? Does this mean that I question them? Does this mean that I disrespect them? Na'udhu billah, of course not. <clears throat> we'll keep their respect. We won't spread negativity and all of that. Of course, this doesn't mean, keeping respect doesn't mean that now I will try to make sure that everyone still, you know, follows them even if they might have been wrong in some of the things that they thought. No, there's a balance here. Re very respectfully, we will say that they tried their best and now we are trying our best. And who knows, our kids will grow up to now call, well, to call us out in the future and say, this is the part you got wrong, this is the part you got wrong as well. No one's infallible, brothers and sisters. So this is just one example to keep in mind. Right? That we don't have divine knowledge, but we have to try our best and we cannot, we cannot question and the intentions of those who came before us who tried their best. So uh, to conclude from this, uh, this page, because uh, it's a very, very important lesson I think that we can take from it. <clears throat> you do your best. Don't just sit there and be negative. If you get it right, alhamdulillah, yay. If you get it wrong, fix it. Move on. Do as much damage control as you can and move on and grow and learn from your mistakes. Right? There's nothing special in pointing out mistakes when the time has passed, brothers and sisters. We have a saying in Farsi that goes uh, like this. It says, uh, Yeah, <clears throat> when the riddle is solved, it becomes easy. Duh! <laughs> right? Riddles are so easy when there are when you know the answer to them. You're like, oh, that was oh, that was easy. But um, but all in all, um, it's before you figuring it out or give, being being given the answer of the riddle that it's very hard. It's so it's so cool. The riddles that's that's one thing I find cool about riddles is that they're so hard sometimes, but then boom, with the snap of a finger and you getting the answer, you're like, whoa, that is so easy. Yeah, it's so easy because time passed and now you know. Knowing the answer to the riddle after it's been given to you is nothing special. Whoever tries, now there are some who will try their best to figure the to solve the riddle, and there are some who will say, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not even interested, I'll just sit there and wait for the answer to be given to me. And of course, there's a big difference between these two individuals. All right, finally, Page number 71.
of, uh, of the Holy Qur'an speaks about what a prophet is supposed to look like. Okay, now with our Holy Prophet the Qur'an tells us and lets us know that look, with the Holy Prophet Allah intervened. With his when it comes to the Prophet's character, Allah intervened. It's Allah's doing. And so anything that is, or when, when something's only possible with Allah's intervention, that means it's, you can, maybe you can say that you can call it a miracle. If something is only possible with God's intervention, then it, you know, I think it's safe to say that that is going to be a miracle. Verse number 159 of Surah Al-Imran says, it is by Allah's mercy that you are gentle to them. And had you been harsh and hard-hearted, surely they would have scattered from around you. So excuse them and plead for forgiveness for them and consult them in the affairs. And once you are resolved, once you make a decision, put your trust in Allah. Indeed, Allah loves those who trust in Him. So it says, once you've come to a decision after you have consulted them, then put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, this is one of my favorite, favorite, most favoritist verses of all. Okay? Uh, and yes, I made up that word, favoritist. But it is my one of my favoritist verses. Why? Because once, one, first of all, it has to do with the Holy Prophet and it also has to do with um, tawakkul and what what proper tawakkul looks like. Okay, because there is a misunderstanding of what proper tawakkul looks like. So Allah is teaching the Prophet what proper tawakkul looks like in this verse. Okay, so as I said, number one. The Prophet's character is a miracle, okay? And you will find scholars say this, um, that one of the reasons why the people would embrace the faith of Islam was the, just the character of the Prophet And even in, in the character of, of our Ahlul Bayt we have stories of um, either Imam al-Hasan or Imam al-Hussein of how, you know, how they would deal with people who sometimes would come from Sham and didn't like them too much because of the environment there and the brainwashing that had happened in Sham regarding the Ahlul Bayt. And then they would come and they would speak very badly to uh, our Imams. And, but what would the Ahlul Bayt do? They would, they would take care of them, of those individuals. They wouldn't go back at them in a harsh manner. And they would just show proper akhlaq to them and those people would would really regret their wrong ways and they would say that we would, we were expecting you to be very bad and evil because that's what we've been taught but we didn't expect you to be like this so long story short brothers and sisters what I'm trying to say here is that the character and akhlaq of the Holy Prophet and by extension his holy uh, progeny these are a these are things that according to the verses of Quran 
are possible through divine intervention. Allah says, because of a mercy by me, you are gentle to them. You are layyin, linta lahum. Linta and layyin, they come from the same root. Layyin means soft. You're soft, O Prophet, like a flower, I want to say, brothers and sisters. Our Prophet is wonderful. Our Prophet is magnificent. And how much have we studied our Holy Prophet How much have we fallen in love with the Holy Prophet Ayatullah Bahjat in his Salah, when he would reach the Holy Prophet's name, that's one of the points where he would weep. Every Salat, every Salat. Trust me, I've been to a lot of his Salats and you can watch some of them online. There are recordings of them. Watch, in his tashahud, when he reaches the Holy Prophet's name, he just can't, and he breaks down. Like there were times you would feel like he can't breathe anymore. And that's how much he's in love with the Holy Prophet, or I don't know what it is, that when the Prophet's name, sallallahu alayhi comes up, he, in, in his salah, he breaks down. Now, what he goes through with Allah is... Even greater, probably, Ayatollah Bahjad. Anyway, that's why one of, one of, this is one of my favorite verses because it speaks about how soft and gentle and lovable our Holy Prophet was. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ The softness, the gentleness of you is actually emanating from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right. So the character of the Prophet is a miracle, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. But what we get out of this, brothers and sisters, look at the next part. If you were harsh, rough around the edges, hard-hearted, the people would have scattered from you. And they wouldn't have been around you. That would have defeated the whole purpose of us sending you then. <laughs> And then some of the other commands that come after that I'll talk about later. But what do we get out of this for ourselves, brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters, we are living in tough times. We are hanging by a thread sometimes even when it comes to our faith. And our youngsters or our converts or reverts, when they come to us, we have to be very careful. And not just them, all in all, anybody, anyone of faith, when they come to us, we better be very careful that we are emulating the Holy Prophet Or else what's going to happen? <laughs> are you kidding me? If the verse is saying, you O Prophet, if you are rough and tough, you are the noisy one, the bad-mouthed one, yeah, the bad-mouthed one, the loud one. People wouldn't be interested in coming around you. He's a prophet for God's sake. He has miracles for God's sake. He has every reason why people should still be coming around him, even if he has bad akhlaq. The Quran makes it clear though, you prophet of God, the last prophet, the seal of all prophets and prophethood, if you don't have good akhlaq, they're going to leave you. What does that say about me sitting here right now representing the faith? Whether I like it or not, I'm representing the faith. I don't care who you are. If you're wearing the garb, for example, or if you're not wearing the garb, 
Or if you're not wearing the turban, you're wearing this thing here. Or if you're not wearing it, if you're on the mimbar of Rasulullah if you're not on the mimbar, you're behind a podium, if you're speaking Islam, if you're representing the faith in one way or another, you got to be careful. I don't care if you tell the people, hey people, don't take me as your role model. It doesn't matter because what you're speaking about, what your attire looks like, what you're sitting on or standing behind as you speak, all of these are saying to the people, he represents Islam or she represents Islam. I'm sorry, I, that's how I see it. So we have to be very, very careful about how we are with the people. You want me to take it a step further? It's all good, we'll take it a step further. Even if you're not speaking about the religion, that you're the one who facilitates the programs of th that are about the religion. If you're the president of a center, of a community, if you're a leader of a community, you're just someone that people go to because you're one of the elderly noble ones and they trust you. If you are on a board of, or a committee of a center, let's say, even there, you got to be extra careful. If you don't have the proper akhlaq, if you get things done through bullying or through shouting or through bad akhlaq, so on and so forth, brothers and sisters, lanfaddu min hawlik. Whether you like it or not, there are going to be some people that might leave, might not be interested anymore, might be turned off because of you, because of me. I still remember once I was leading Salat somewhere and I could hear behind me someone telling somebody how they were doing something wrong in their Salat. Brother, sister, there are better ways to tell people. There are better, better ways, instead of embarrassing that individual, hurting their feelings in front of others, maybe pull them to the side later and say, I'm so sorry, I, I, you know, I, I just see, because I love you, because I see that you're trying your best, you're doing such a good job in your Salat al-Jama'ah, I want to just make one point here clear, like this, this part, you know, you have to be careful about. If you do it like this, it might break your Salat. I don't want your Salat to be broken, you know, that kind of thing. That's how we should talk, it seems. You know, be creative, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Our Sunday school teachers, they have to be careful. Islamic school teachers, we have to be careful. All of us have to be careful. We're all in this together. If we don't get it right, the Quran is saying that they'll leave the Prophet, let alone me, me the, being the person that I am. That's number one. Number two, oh my God, look at this. Not only have good akhlaq with them and not be rough and tough, but be so down to earth with them that you consult them in your affairs. Give them a sense of ownership. Let them feel special about themselves. This is how much of a good akhlaq you should have. But yes, you're the one who makes the decision. This pronoun ta means you. When you make the decision, O Prophet of Allah. So you see, there's a hierarchy here. You speak to the people, you get their idea of things, but then, O Prophet of Allah, you're the one who makes the decision. Remember that. And then tawakkul will remind you of the hierarchy even more and remind you that Allah is at the top of this hierarchy. فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it starts with the mu'mineen. Isn't this so beautiful? Oh my God, this is so beautiful. It starts with the mu'mineen. And before the mu'mineen, it starts with your good akhlaq. 
like shall I need I say more? Need I say more? That's where it starts from. It all starts from the akhlaq and proper uh, demeanor. That's where it starts from. <laughs> but it's really cool. Consult with them or consult them. Now this is the lesson that I wanted to share with you as well in, in, this, in this verse. That proper tawakkul doesn't mean you don't make decisions and you just leave it to Allah. You make the right decisions. You try your best to make the right decision. And when you make the decision, then put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I do my part and then I raise my hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I say, Oh Allah, I need you to help me in this. This is my decision. Help me in this path and give your khair and barakah and bestow your blessing upon this decision I've made. So look at this. Look, let me just list these for you. In this verse, what we had. Gentle, soft, not harsh and rough and hard-hearted and all of that. Forgiving. You should overlook the faults of others. That is also part of it. Forgive them. Overlook their shortcomings. People aren't perfect. And also ask Allah for forgiveness for them. Because when you do that, this is my take on this now, at least one of the reasons why you should ask for forgiveness for Allah for them, why? Because that will, that causes a bond in your heart for them, <coughs> right? There are people we all have issues with, but at the end of the day, they are mu'mineen. We know they're trying their best to do stuff. They just want to do it their way and we feel they're, they're getting it wrong. And in the process, they might even hurt us. It might not be a bad idea to keep them in our du'as even still, because at the end of the day, they're mu'mineen. And let's, uh, you know, when we do du'a for them, ask Allah for forgiveness for them, that brings uh, tranquility to our own hearts and love for them in our own hearts. So look at the list. Gentle, soft, not rough and tough, forgiving, asking for forgiveness, consulting, all of these things. These are attributes of a person who wants to do religious work or else they're defeating the purpose. So you have to make the sacrifice, brothers and sisters. It's not just, I have the knowledge, now I want to impart my knowledge. Oh, you who believe, listen to me. <laughs> you should uh, appreciate me for the knowledge that I have. No, 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 that's not how it works. In the real world, you got to have this whole list. Check all these boxes too. And if you're, if you're really interested in doing things for Allah, and inshallah, the people will also come in your way. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of these traits. والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم نور قلوبنا بالقرآن وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته